Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Compelling Community Podcast for week number five. We have finished part one of our book study together. Part one was all about the kind of community that we are praying the Lord will build amongst us, the kind that depends on His power, not ours, and therefore brings Him glory, not us. And now we're switching into part two, which is some of the things that we can do to foster the kind of community that God is building. So He's given us a role in it. He's given us responsibilities and we, uh, we still honor Him and glorify Him when we make sure that the things we put our hands to are exactly the things He told us to put our hands to, the things He promised to bless when we depend on them. And one of the things that's really clear about the, uh, about the work God is doing in the world, one of the things the Bible tells us really clearly, is that He works through His Word. It's His Word that spoke the whole world into being. And it's His Word now that brings sinners from death to life that puts flesh onto old dry bones, to think of Ezekiel's image, and that bring, that through which the Spirit brings new birth to people who otherwise have no spiritual life in them. God works through His Word. And if that's how He's working, if that's what He's going to use to build supernatural communities, then that means we've got to put a lot of focus into our preaching. Because preaching is where a local church gets its it's sort of entree for the week. It's, it's most substantive meat for the week comes in that gathering when God's Word is opened. So this chapter, chapter 5, and this conversation is going to be all about preaching. That's one reason I'm so grateful to be here joined by one of my favorite preachers, Jonathan Worsley. And I want to ask you the first question. What is, is preaching for in the life of a local church? Yeah, I like what you said there at the start. Um, there's, a, there's a minister at St. Helens Church in London and talk, who talks about preaching being the lifeblood of the local church. I love that image. In terms of what preaching is for, uh, it's so many things. You know, preaching honors God. You know, we get so much coming our way in the course of our week, but essentially um, on a Sunday we we, we shut up and we stop listening to other things and we listen to God and mm-hmm. and, and God is honored by that. And, and God is glorified as well. God is hopefully glorified in, in preaching because hopefully we, the preacher, and everybody else leaves wanting to, to praise God as we see his character on display uh, in his word. Um, I think that the preaching obviously equips Christians. Um, it helps us to know uh, what to believe and how to live. And and as we will come on to how to how to read our Bibles, and also preaching hopefully saves non Christians mm. as people come in and hear the gospel. It tells them how they can be saved. I'm sure there's many many others, but that's just a few. Yeah. Well, what's not on your list is preaching. It draws a crowd. Preaching attracts people. Preaching entertains. And, and I know that it's so tempting. Maybe this is a uniquely American thing, but it is so tempting as a preacher and probably as a local church to evaluate the church and how attractive it is based on the quality of the sermons that are coming from that pulpit every week. We want to resist that in ourselves and in our church culture like a plague because that's what it is. It's a, it's a poison. It eats away at the life of a church if it's built around a kind of celebrity that that uh, that really, I mean, maybe you and I are not going to be the best candidates for that sort of celebrity, but there are things we could try to do in our preaching to to lean into that, to to be 
uh, more engaging, more more attractive. And I think I can speak for both of us when we actually suppress that desire. We try to make sure that our sermons are not drawing attention to us, that we aren't in, uh, investing all of our hopes for a bustling church life with lots and lots of people wanting to clamor in. Um, yeah, I'll try my best in preaching not to be the hero. So if I tell yeah. a story about myself, I'm the, I'm the villain. Um, and that's one way, I guess, I, I try to do that. Yeah, preaching is not, a, the, not the way that we attract people yeah. or the way that we justify our lives in this world. Instead, preaching is meant to be aimed at the glory of God, of course, mm-hmm. as we hold him out, but then the equipping of the people who are listening to the sermons. Because ultimately, the word ministry that's going to that's gonna really go down deep into our church's life and then sprout up in a culture that's vibrant and healthy is a word ministry of the people from one to one. To one. Yeah. Um, so we want our sermons, I think the way they put it in the, in the chapter is, we want our sermons to equip a whole congregation full of many preachers. Yep. We are we we don't want people leaving the sermons thinking that was an amazing message. We want them leaving talking about the Jesus they saw there to their friends from the scriptures they now understand to reveal him. Yep. Is that about fair? Anything you want to add to that? No, I think that's I, I think that's good. Are you going to come on to talking about an understanding of 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 people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, to me, the core of this chapter was what you need to focus on as a preacher if you want to equip a bunch of mini preachers. Yeah. If your if your goal is not to attract attention to yourself, if your goal is not to to, to grow your church through your compelling personality or what have you, um, if your goal is to equip mini preachers, here's what you should focus on. And the first yeah. thing they recommend focusing on is uh, making sure that you understand the needs of your congregation. Yeah. I know that's a big thing for you. I mean, you've been helping me uh, develop that part of my preaching ministry. So maybe I'll just throw to you here. What are some things you do to make sure when you come to write a sermon, it's going to be based on things you know your people need to hear? Yeah, I mean, at a very basic level, it's just it's hanging out with it's hanging out with people. You, you preach good sermons when you know the sheep well. I think mm-hmm. my sermons have lots of room for improvement because of that. Because I'm I'm, I'm learning that I'm learning the the, the the sheep as it were when I smell more sheepy as it as it were <laughs> yeah. I think that the sermons will will be better because I've been around people more but I do think there's a temptation there because of that because sometimes and obviously it's right that that our jobs move towards perhaps the sheep who are struggling that sometimes they become slightly skewed mm-hmm. uh, because of that uh, I've certainly seen that um, through my own preaching so one of the things that I do just very practically is I do a kind of sermon application grid, which I think they mention in this in this chapter. It's slightly different to some of the things they they raise, but essentially I kind of have my 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 point, my exegetical point, and then next to it I have my application kind of point, and then further to the right I have like a a, a load of columns that are divided up uh, based on kind of a diverse number of people in in our church. So for example, you might have uh, the application point, be holy. But then as I go along the column, I think, what does be holy mean to Emma Ruth Mitchell, a young girl listening in? And then I go to the next column. What does be holy mean to Asher Hunt? 
a student at Belmont raised in Nashville? And then what does it mean to Michaela Ibach? And then Fernando Munoz, and, and then Jim Henderson, and then Sue Jeanette. And so what I'm trying to do is, sometimes I even draw these kind of their, their faces, because uh, I want to be thinking about actually speaking to them and, and thinking about you know, what they're going through in their life as I'm seeking to apply the word to them. I love it. I love it. I think this is going to be one of those show notes pages here. We need some links to an actual photo of these drawings. <laughs> I was waiting on you to mention me. I take it I don't have a column. Well, I mean, so sometimes you do. So I kind of okay. I mix I mix it up a little bit. Sometimes I'll you know I'll draw a guy with some circular glasses. Yeah. And... <laughs> I love that, brother. That's that's so encouraging to hear. And I um, I also resonate with what you said about making sure you're spending time with people and with a range of people dealing with a range of of needs. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I remember hearing early on as a preacher that really struck me from from a more experienced preacher was be careful about what you're reading during the week and what conversations are filling your brain because they'll come into your sermons too. So uh, you got to get out of the out of the kind of seminary and conversations that you're having in seminary for your papers or in your New Testament classes or whatever because people don't care about that. They don't care about the all the debates about this particular word and how it should be translated. Most of the time, that's just not going to need to make it in. And you, I think you should be really careful about what you're reading on social media or out in the blog world because the fights that are, ha- that are, that are going on out there, Lord willing, are not going to be the, the, the things that your people are really desperate to hear you speak to. Yeah. That, that you really want to just have in your calendar lots of slots where you're speaking to real people that you're responsible for. Yeah. Um, one of the things that's been most useful to me in recent years um, that I just ripped off from another pastor is a sermon application um, or sermon prep seminar, or a team for eight to ten weeks of uh, a, a diverse range of folks who commit to, to meet with me once a week over the course of those eight to ten weeks to give feedback on how the last sermon went, what they heard, what could have been stronger, clearer, more helpful, and then to look ahead to the next sermon that's still coming up and, and, and look through the text to, to try to show me what they see and what questions it raises for them, but then to talk about application. Who needs this, and why do they need it? And my goodness, is it a precious thing. There's nothing I've done as a preacher that's been more helpful to me than that. So also consider this, friends, to be your advertisement. That is an open invitation group. It's word of mouth. I don't usually put it out on the website or anything, but it is a group in which everyone is welcome to participate. So if it sounds like something you like to do, shoot me an email, and I'll put you down for the next round. Yeah, Anything else on this? No, I just love how we do that in, in our own staff meetings as well. We'll go around and we'll review the, the sermon. Yep. And um, I've been helped as much by you as Dave and Laura and Justin. And, you know, we have a relatively diverse staff team. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's just been really helpful as well. Love it. So so the other thing that, he, that the chapter recommends that we do, um, if, we want to, if we want to preach to equip many preachers... Yep. People who all over the life of our church are talking to one another and encouraging one another with the Word. People who see it not as something that we're supposed to do and they're supposed to receive, but as something that we equip them to do for themselves in their in each other's lives. If that's the kind of, of, of congregation we want, then another thing we need to do is preach sermons that equip our people to use the Bible, that yep. basically pass on the same Bible skills that we're using to come up with these sermons. So what are some of your strategies for doing that? Yeah, I mean, I think that the primary one is just trying to be as text-driven and as simple as I can. So I grew tremendously in my handling of the Bible just through 
listening to you know, Dick Lucas, John Stott. These are, these are, these are British preachers of a, of a few years ago now. But one of the things that I loved about them is just how simple they were and how much they were in the text. Mm-hmm. You've, you've got those uh, Bible Speaks Today commentaries um, that were so informative for me. And, and so what I'm trying to do in preaching is I'm trying to model that simplicity and also just how hopefully text-driven it is. So, I mean, just very practically, I'll say a lot in my preaching, uh, look with me at verse 3, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. I'll read the passage multiple times, or I'll say things like, uh, can, can you see? Look at, look at the context there. So I'm trying to kind of subtly yep. kind of teach those things, and I, I try and have points that, that kind of come clearly uh, out of the text, try not to sound uh, wordy, mm-hmm. um, there's a great quote by um, Charles Spurgeon, and he kind of just talks about his kind of text-driven nature mm-hmm. and, and, and the foolishness of trying to be sound like really clever. Yeah, right. He says this, he says, let eloquence be flung to the dogs rather than souls be lost. What we want is to win souls. They are not won by flowery speeches. Amen. And that's I just Paul that. in First Corinthians, isn't it? Yeah. I could have come with rhetorical power if I'd wanted to. Yep. But I chose to come and know nothing but Christ and Him crucified. That's going to be foolishness. That's going to be a stumbling block. But it's the only way to life. Yeah. So it's all I've got. Um, so this is not like no creativity. Right. We don't want like simplicity like that. But we do want it to be text-driven such that people yep. look at it and think, oh, I can kind of come up with that myself. Yep. It's pretty obvious. It's yep. clearly there. Yeah, you almost... <laughs> You almost want your sermons to seem like you wrote them in an hour, <laughs> you know, when actually the ones that seem the clearest are the ones that killed you to write, Yeah, yeah. at least in my experience. I'm with you on, on bringing to the surface the key parts of the text that got you there as yeah. a preacher. Uh, so a lot of times, especially in a series like Philippians, where you're working with a guy like Paul who, who reasons his way to his points really clearly, I like to bring up the key words, the transition words. Yep. Show see, I did this, did this a couple uh, sermons ago uh, on Philippians 1. He, he, he says he wants you to be worthy, the live worthy uh, of the gospel of Christ. And then he says, so that, and then he gives you the two things that will, that will show, things that will result in your life if you're living worthy of the gospel. Uh-huh. You can just show people that these two examples are not just two examples I pulled out of thin air. Unity and suffering were the two examples Paul had in mind when he was thinking about worthiness of the gospel. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so key words help a lot. And then I think this is tough to do. There's a there's always a balance here, but but leaning into the text and making it clear by how much you talk about it that it's the main event, not your supporting material, not your illustrations, even is really important to do. It's hard to do because people are going to remember the illustrations. They just yeah. are. I mean, what they'll remember two years from now, if they remember anything from a sermon, is the <laughs> is this is the is the illustration that they probably can't even remember uh, what use it was put to. You know, like, I don't remember what you're making. I don't remember the point you were making. I don't remember what the text was. But I remember when you said this about your your life. That's. I think it's worth the risk because they're so helpful sometimes. But we also have to be really careful not to overdo that, and to make sure that that if someone's really not interested in the Bible. And what it has to say, they would probably lose interest in our sermons. Yeah, are you willing to stand by that? Is that saying it too strongly? Yeah, maybe. I think there's, I think there's a balance. You want to, you want to draw people in. You don't want to assume interest, particularly if there's non-Christians there. I think if you use a good illustration, um, it, it, it 
does help people to remember the point at times. But I, I, I do agree. They, they can be too powerful such that they, that they take away from the word. People forget. Certainly that's why I want to kind of stay away from just like stories about myself or, mm-hmm. or, or, or things like that. Mm-hmm. I just don't want the supporting material to be what really engages people, what they love most, what they leave talking about. I, I want an earnestness about the Bible, I, yeah. like a hunger, like the Bereans had to just see if it's there. Because yeah. this is where life is found. Like no one through a good illustration ever brought the dead back to life. Um, True. Th- th- that doesn't put flesh on, on dry bones. It's, it's God's word. And sometimes illustrations are great for, for showing the power of God's word. That's ones we're always looking for. Uh, but but we, want a, we want a ton of text in there too. Um, I, I know we're out of time here. I want to finish by, um, by asking our friends out there listening to pray for us. Um, so we trust that the stakes in these sermons are higher than, than most anything else you or I will do in our lives. Hmm. And that, um, and that the work we long to see done by them is work that we can't do. Uh, it's work that God must do ultimately. And so we pray and we, yeah. we need our whole congregation praying over the preaching ministry of our church. So as you think about that, how would you want to see our friends out there praying for, for our preaching? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's there's so many things. Obviously, there's that there's that humility, the 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 need for us to apply the sermon to ourselves, uh, the need to be prayerful, recognizing that it is is the is the Lord who will bring people to life, um, and yet at the same time, we're we're called to to work hard. We're called to mm-hmm. be workmen who are unashamed, people who, uh, to Timothy two, do do their do their best. And that's that's quite hard to do week in week out mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, within the time constraints that that we have. So so pray that 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 we would be good at, at quickly organizing the text and presenting it in a way that is faithful and unashamed, and that we would not, I think, slide into kind of a, a, a laziness about mm-hmm. getting the word right. Because you know we 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 speak. God's word, and that is a that's a terrifying thing in lots of mm-hmm. ways. Obviously, like our words aren't literally God's word, but as we kind of hold out the the, the word, uh, what what an amazing responsibility! So pray that we would never grow lazy. Pray mm-hmm. that we would be those workmen who are unashamed. Mm-hmm. I think would be the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, besides praying that the Lord will work through these sermons to bring people to life and to bring them to maturity in Christ. When I think personally of what I'd like for my friends to pray for me as a preacher, it's all variations on the theme of humility. Yeah. <laughs> One way or another, it's always a prayer for humility, that that uh, that I would trust the Word and not myself. Um, usually when I'm trusting myself, the way that manifests is just discouragement and insecurity, just a, a lack of confidence about what I'm going to say because my confidence has slipped into the power of my material or what I'll feel like as I deliver it. Mm-hmm. It's just no way to preach. So yep. praying against against that for a deep confidence in the Word. Another way to put that is is a confidence that God will work in it despite my limits. Because yeah. I don't think I've ever delivered a sermon, maybe one or two in my life, where I got up there and felt like this material like is worthy of this text. This is the right way to get this text across. I don't ever feel that way. I always <laughs> get up there and think, I wish I had another day to work on this thing. and And so... The only way I know to cope with that is to just pray that the Lord will give us confidence despite our limitations, that he yeah. can work through broken vessels and jars of clay, and that the treasure is the point, and it's going to yep. get across 
uh, one way or another. And, and I think, f- finally, just a, a death to self, to the pride that wants to be great, the Amen. desire to please. Amen. Um, and, and instead to honor him and to serve the people that we love. Um, guys, you can pray that for us every single week. We, we beg you to. Um, both during the middle of the week when you know we're working on sermons and then especially on Sunday morning when we've got to stand up there and show all our friends what we did with our week, that, that it would not be about us but about him. Yeah, amen. Thanks, guys, for paying attention and for the prayers we know you are praying. Uh, thanks be to God for working amongst us by his word. 